politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, forgotten American taxpayers and all around common sense Americans to the Conservative Review podcast. Welcome to the Independent Revolution, where indeed we are making a lot of progress here on this Wednesday, August 21st. Lots of news going on that runs the gamut of everything on immigration. So many updates on everything we spoke about yesterday. Good news and bad news. Obviously, the good news you guys all heard is that finally, 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 after us yelping about this for 15 months, the administration has moved to vitiate, to cancel out the Flores settlement. I have a long article out today, which you can see up on the screen here, basically explaining why it's indefensible to oppose this change, why Flores is nothing but a settlement that legally uh, can be changed as part of the original agreement, by the way, and how Trump can make this even better and hold the line against the courts. Because remember, nothing matters if we don't push back against the notion of judicial supremacy in general, but the notion in particular that illegal immigrants have rights to sue us, have rights to break into this country and enter. I mean, there's tons of stories about illegals suing us for not giving enough medical care. Like, you know, they don't like the temperature of the burritos and they sue us. This is unbelievable. So there's a lot of bad stuff. But I know I'm kind of the doctor of doom here, so I do want to mark this occasion. Um, They did have a good presentation of what they're doing. If this is actually implemented, now there is a 60-day waiting period. If it is actually implemented and they hold the line in the courts, this will single-handedly stop this entire wave of Central Americans from coming. Because again, if they can't get catch and release, they're not going to come. The big thing to realize is that a lot in the media are going to say, hey, you're going to indefinitely detain these people. It's a joke. No one's going to indefinitely detain them because guess what? They're not going to come once they know that we're not going to you know, release them after a few days. So this is good news. In addition, finally, finally, they're stopping this odious practice of just needlessly granting bogus asylees work permits pending the adjudication. It's something that should never have been done Um, Obama started it. It was a lawless policy to the extent that he implemented it. It's discretionary to a certain extent, certainly not mandatory. And they're finally ending that again. Mark Morgan at CBP, Matt Albans at ICE. um, Ken Cuccinelli is really the heavy hitter at USCIS. Great guys. And I think, you know, the personnel, the policies we've pushed for are making a difference. So I want you guys to know when you go to Conservative Review's YouTube page and you like our YouTube channel, when you listen to this, when you subscribe, when you read our articles, when you pass them around on social media, you are making a difference. There was um, one of these leftist open borders activists I I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Someone sent this to me. The guy was telling his following, you don't understand this Daniel guy. He's like a mid-level type of dude, but his stuff really ultimately makes its rounds on all the people making the decisions. So, you know, he's really dangerous. Well, (laughs) Yes, I mean, finally, you look at the third party asylum agreement, you look at the rule that they must declare asylum in their first safe country, you look at the expedited removal um, rule, and now the work permits in Flores, the administration has essentially implemented roughly half 
of the recommendations I've had in my deter, defend, demagnetize proposal. So look, I'll take it. And now we're going to work on the other proposals and we're going to work in the courts. I'm going to have a very special guest on today that is very well known to you to discuss the other half of this border crisis, of this sovereignty crisis. But before, I just want to mention a couple other things. Yesterday, we spoke about identity theft and we spoke about this um, illegal alien that was detained among the 680 at this major workplace enforcement action in Mississippi by ICE and how the media lied through the immigration lawyer saying that ICE ripped her away from her nursing baby. And it turned out that yesterday they actually, or two days ago, they actually gave her a medical exam and proved uh, definitively that she wasn't even lactating. It was all a lie. Well, thankfully, they are not backing down. And not only aren't they backing down, this, this really put a smile to my face. They are now handing her over to DOJ and indicting her on identity theft. And that is something that always needs to be done. And as we mentioned, I'm sick of hearing the sob stories when they came in here and they stole from the American people. There is nothing more odious than having your identity stolen. It's terrible. And of course, Republicans are not talking about this. All of the recommendations we mentioned yesterday for what needs to be done with that. In addition, between a 74-year-old woman being burned to death by an illegal alien in Florida, another alien suffocating a 74-year-old woman in New Jersey, another brutal, brutal rape, the fourth this month by an illegal alien in Montgomery County, Maryland. Case after case after case, some of them I saw on my own, some of them you guys have sent me between Nate and I at Conservative Review. We're gonna try to cover these cases. Again, not a single elected Republican is talking about a single one of these cases and how they are totally avoidable crimes if we enforced our laws on the books and how we need to give Americans the right to sue. We need an American florist settlement with the government where government settles with the American taxpayer so we don't have to pay for the hospitalization and the medical bills of those who quite literally rape Americans, steal identity, murder people. There have been more illegal alien murders and rapes and child molestings just since the El Paso shooting that I have chronicled, and I only see a fraction of the universe of this. Again, we're going to shame these people into covering it. Now, connected to this, when you bring in mass numbers from Mexico, from Central America, very violent cultures, you're going to bring in the culture. And a big part of the culture is just like you have in the Islamic world, the jihadist culture. You have a cartel, a narco culture, which is not just about drugs, but is an entire ideology and strategy of terrorism and violence. Now, what I'm finding is while the administration finally is listening to many of our suggestions on immigration law, immigration policy, and it is having its effect in stemming the tide of Central Americans. What they clearly have not made any progress with is actually A, identifying the problem of the cartels, and B, implementing the policies on the ground through the military, through the Coast Guard, um, through CBP, to properly counter what is quite literally an invasion of our country through the cartels. Today, we bring back to you really an old guest, but 
the first time he's going to be on our video podcast. Colonel Dan Steiner, as you all know, 31 years in the Air Force. He served at CENTCOM, Kosovo, um, Gulf War in Iraq, is Operation Iraqi Freedom. He also did some time in Central America, has a tremendous knowledge of Mexico and Mexico's politics and the cartels. Most importantly, last decade, he commanded Texas's military forces on behalf of former Governor Rick Perry, coordinating with the Texas forces with NORTHCOM, as well as with some Mexican counterparts, at least the ones that uh, possibly could be trusted, uh, to deal with this really cross-border insurgency that we're dealing with. So to get all of the news on the cartels, what's going on, what we should be doing, we welcome to our video show for the first time, Colonel Dan Steiner. Hey, Colonel, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Dan, how you doing? Hey, well, you're you're our second guinea pig as our second guest uh, on our video. <laughs> and, you know, uh, look, I, I have a face for for uh, radio, so it's it's great to take some of the heat off my face and have a second person with me <laughs> today. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will tell you, uh, there's a reason I'm not in Hollywood. So, <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you're right. I mean, some of the things you said this morning about some of the trends, it almost appears that maybe out of happenstance or probably because of what you said, the pressure that you're putting on people and people like you're putting on D.C., we're starting to see a trend of at least internally here of some smarter decisions being made. Um, I wish that good news was asymmetric. I, I wish I could come on here today, Dan, and tell you that corresponding to that is a lot of good news coming from outside of our country with this issue of stability near the United States. Well, you know, uh, and you and I have talked about this for the last couple of days. I, I don't have good news for you. And I saw a couple of things this morning that really bothered me, and I, and I told you about him. You and I started texting back and forth with a few other folks. And, and I, I'm here to tell you that Mexico, I don't know that you can honestly say that Mexico is in control of Mexico. And I know that's an ugly thing to, to, to make a statement on. But uh, last week, I saw the story about how Mexico had become our number one trading partner. You know, they had bumped off Canada and they were up to, I think, 15 percent or something like that. And I read that and I, I was going over some other articles and I thought, well, this is interesting uh, to a guy who truly believes that Mexico City truly doesn't run Mexico. They, they show up to all the functions. They, they have the highballs. You know, they they do the parades. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not really sure Mexico City runs Mexico. So when I read the thing about the number one trade partner now, the United States being Mexico, two things popped in my head, and, and I, I think I talked to you about them, was number one, the odds of making Mexico be responsible for what's going on in Mexico probably just went down a thousand percent. I mean, how do you how do you applaud someone for being your number one trading partner, then turn around and tell them that they don't know what they're doing? So, you know, DC's not going to do that. Uh, secondly, uh, it, it is amazing to me to believe that I can sit here in front of you today and tell you straight faced, as you, and you know, I've already told you this is the cartels run Mexico. So did we just admit last week, as dramatic as it sounds, I know, but I think that's what you and I can prove today when we talk, 
Mexico, our number one trading partner, is run by the cartels. <laughs> our and, number and, one, again, let's take that slow. Our number one trading partner, not just our neighbor to the south, shares a long, you know, you know, almost 2,000 mile border, but our number one trading partner is run by the people that, if you look on the internet every day, are beheading people and committing all sorts of violence, which we're going to soon explain it comes to our side of the border as well. And, and, and I know there are people in, in inside the Beltway, uh, they're probably going to give you a ton of grief for having me come on here and say that, but I'll defend it. I defended it on my blog last week. I've defended it with, with friends. Most of my friends that worked in the area that I worked in agree with me. Um, but it's a simple fact that the Mexican government, and, and let's we'll go over several points here to make my point, the Mexican government is our number one trading partner, and they don't run the country. And, and I, I'm not sure how we as a nation address that. And I, I think the typical way we'll do it right now is we won't address it. Just like just like you notice, they're not addressing the immigration issues, the, you know, the invasion of our border, our sovereignty issues to our South. I don't think there's any way they address this. And I don't think they have a plan to even consider how to address and, it. So they'll ignore it. Colonel, I just want to kind of tee you up here, just just so you could run with this. What you just said, they're not addressing. So again, my problem is this. I feel that the president, really with the May border numbers, he was pushed to the wall. He looked like a fool. I mean, the numbers were three times worse than under Obama. Every promise that he made went out the door. He knew he had to act. So finally, like I mentioned, about five or six of my immigration policies that many of us have been pushing for over a year, he is now implemented or is in the process of implementing, and the numbers are coming down. But what, the, what he doesn't feel, what he's clearly not being briefed on, what doesn't, it's too much of a gray zone conflict, is you know, a week and a half ago, CDN cartel, likely CDN cartel, shot over 50 rounds of automatic fire into our boats they're still constantly getting runners over not the families surrendering although they are coming but in fewer numbers the runners the really bad guys the gangs the cartel mentality and we see this with a lot of the crimes committed by illegal aliens it really has this hallmark of burning bodies which we didn't see in large degree in this country until recently and but it's too subtle. You don't see a World War II style traditional invasion, black zone conflict, a battalion of Mexican soldiers coming over the border, marching over. So he doesn't realize it. So there is no desire not only not to act, but to even properly diagnose and identify the problem that, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, Mr. President, are talking about Greenland as a strategic asset. But what about the strategic asset of our own border, 70 miles into it, the cartels controlling it with their Hacones, um, the islands in the middle of the Rio Grande, a little bit on the Mexican side, right here, where, yes, we're starting to realize we could assert sovereignty on cutting off some of the magnets, the catch and release in immigration law and policy, but we don't seem to be catching on to our sovereignty in the more physical border sense. Like, we have a border, and we have the right to defend it, and it's being invaded, and we will treat it like we would any other invasion. That's what I want to tee you up with. Why are they not looking at it like that? Why should they? And what do you, what do you think? You know the next steps are. So just take it away, Colonel. Yeah. So so let, let's talk indicators. And, you know, so this is kind of 
after I came out of command and I went into a different area, uh, indicators are the things that the intelligence community always tried to deal with. So there are some indicators in Mexico. They're just absolutely troubling. You know, AMLO from day one, uh, oh, you know, by the way, we're talking about a guy, Dan, who won the elections in Mexico back in 2006. Now, I know that's kind of hard for people to believe, but he did. He, he ran against Calderon and he beat him. The problem was the PAN party was not going to put up with that. So they, they cooked the, the recount. And I mean, they actually cooked it. I mean, we, we verified that they cooked it. But when the dust settled, AMLO put his people in the streets of Mexico City and protested for about three months, some of it violently. So this is a guy who has had a left of left of left mentality since day one. He's the president now. He ran on a campaign this time and won saying, uh, you know, these drug lords are not the major problem. It's social structuring that's our problem. So Mexico, about uh, pick it, two and a half decades ago, Mexico had this problem in southern Mexico called the Zapatistas a leftist guerrilla communist movement. Um, and they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't beat them. It's kind of like the cartels. They couldn't beat them. They couldn't appease them. And it was getting worse. So what did Mexico do? Even way back then, they gave them a piece of land. They went in and they said, here's your chunk of property. This is yours. Keep it. Do whatever you want with it. We'll leave you alone. I mean, they seceded a part of Mexico to the Zapatistas. Period. That's what they did. To me, there's every indication that AMLO's theory towards the violence in Mexico, which is driven by the cartels, is to secede land to the cartels. So yesterday, or it might have been two days ago, someone from the Ministry of the Interior in Mexico goes and has a meeting with who they believe are cartel members. Now, they're either ignorant and not realizing they weren't cartel members, or they just lied to the media. Somebody needs to pick. What happened was the press found out who was actually there. The people that the Minister of Interior, Mrs. I, I, I got her name written, Sanchez, Mrs. Sanchez, she, the people she met with were autodefensias. And you and I have talked about them before, and that's a whole different conversation down the road. But they're basically Mexican militias that are just sick of all the insecurity at the at the middle so, class, poor person level. Yeah. So auto defense is short, sort of like, you know, what the media really focused on in the 90s in America, these patriot militias in, in America. That's this is the Mexican version called auto defense is Co correct. So she sits down for a meeting with them, thinking they're cartels and says, basically, if you'll put down your guns, we'll leave you alone. So. To cut to the chase, Dan, I, I truly believe that AMLO is attempting to use the Zapatista model against the cartels. He, he knows he can't get the violence down. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have a functional law enforcement system. He has no judicial system. You should have just took that Meridian money and just flew over Mexico and threw it out the window. I mean, th this idea that we were going to go in there and restructure their court systems Oh, you know, what a, what and, a and again, yeah. and again, uh, Colonel, folks, for for those of you who don't know, the Meridia Initiative, uh, Congress spent somewhere seven, eight billion dollars over the last yes. decade, decade and a half, building up their infrastructure, security and 
just like in the Middle East, you know, probably a lot of it went to the cartels. Yeah, it's it's money out the window at 30,000 feet. I mean, that's what it turned out to be. Their their court system is no better than it ever was. That's why we always insist when these kingpins are caught, they're bought here because it's the only chance we have of really getting them in a maximum security prison. But I, I truly believe what AMLO is trying to do is take the model that did work against the Zapatistas and go towards the cartels with it. So think about that for a minute, Dan. If what this man wants to do, and he's got five more years to do it, and he's got whoever the next president of the United States is to either fight over it or go along with him on it. That's why how critical is 2020 to us. You take the cartels, you tell them, this is your piece of property. Just stop killing each other and we won't bother you. We won't come in your land. We won't do anything for you. Then today he turns around and gets his court system to start legalizing at the personal level, step one, the possession of cocaine. And in the article that I sent you about this whole court ruling on the possession of legally having cocaine, it makes a comment in there, you know, reading in between the lines, that the goal here is to really get the war off of the cartels. In, in other words, the violence in Mexico is spurred by the drug industry. So does AMLO believe, does the Mexican government believe that if they legalize cocaine slowly or whatever speed they want to travel, that again, they're trying to defuse their violence, which they can't handle. Their police department's corrupt. He promised to get the military off the streets. He doesn't have a way to stop what's going on and the murder rates going up. And so I think the Zapatistas, who are his people, by the way, he has always been supportive of the Zapatistas since he was a young man. That's the model he's chasing. Do we in the United States understand that? And if we understand at the intelligence community level, when are we going to tell the public that? So so let, let me just distill it for for our listeners, our, our viewers here. You're saying that you're putting together a couple of things that recently happened. And the Zapatistas were they're not cartels. They're they're leftist guerrilla folks that operated in the Chiapas, the <laughs> southernmost province in uh, Mexico, all the way to the south near Guatemala. And it kind of gave them autonomy. And now he's using that as a model for the cartels who they're, they're everywhere. But most prominently for us, they're in the north Tamaulipas province, which is what borders, you know, southern Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, where all the migration is coming in, all the gangs are coming in, the drugs, everything, everything that's bad is coming in there. And it's kind of the opposite, the exact opposite. This is very important. And it ties into my opening monologue here, which is that. Border agents tell me, and I know this is right, and I know you know this is right, what worked over the last six weeks or so to stem the tide, the trajectory of the illegal migration, was not the Mexican enforcement. Uh, Border Patrol agent friend of mine, Sergio Tinoco, put this out even publicly on Twitter. Um, it was not. It was the amalgamation of these magnets that we removed on our side, we started enforcing. So he, if anything, AMLO's moving, you're saying, to a more laissez-faire. So that means, our, again, our biggest trading partner now has just narco-terrorists running the show right on our border. Now I want you to take that to the next level, what that means for America, what that means for the border agents. Talk also about 
the significance of the CDN cartel, the next generation Zetas, now taking over, moving east into the Rio Grande Valley or the, the part of Mexico opposite the Rio Grande Valley uh, to Miguel Aleman from the Gulf cartel and why they're possibly more of a strategic threat? Well, it, so I'll put my tactical hat on. Before I became a, a strategic thinker, you know, in my younger days in the military, I was a tactical guy. I was an operator. We, we were weapons shooters. Um, th think about the difference between how the cartels looked 10 years ago and how they look today. When I got back from the war in 2003 and I got into a new position, and part of that position was to watch what was going on to the United States South, particularly Mexico, in a, in a very open way and a very sensitive way. One of the things that really struck me was when I watched some of these cartel squads, as I called them back then, they they had weapons, uh, they were mismatched, they had, some guys had cool clothing on, everybody's trying to look like the, you know, the soldier coming out of Afghanistan, start trapping stuff on your LBEs, your load-bearing equipment, start trying to look like you're just some combat warrior, because it looks cool. And they were, although they were teams of gunmen, you know, hired thugs that were running around for these cartels, Compared to how some of them are starting to look today, uh, you know, as Jason calls some of these guys now, this, this particular group that you're talking about with the White Walkers, very uniformed in their uniforms, very uniformed in their weaponry, very new weaponry, very standardized positions. The, the amount of weaponry in a team is almost indicative of what we would call uh, a, heavy, uh, a heavy platoon, really. I mean, you've got the right mixture of automatic weapons, uh, crew serve weapons, uh, indirect fire, RPG. So, so they look different, and they look different, and they act different. You know, this shootout between CJND and and you know, I always get lost in acronyms. That was different, and, and so we keep looking at Mexico as saying, well, you know, drug cartels have always had gunmen that run around with them, and that's not a big thing. It is different, Dan, and they are getting different. And so you take their capabilities, as, as now you go back to the strategic world, you take their capabilities and you take their intent and you mix it with their degree of uh, emboldenedness. And we have a very dangerous situation. Plus, plus, Colonel, take that to the next level. It's not just, oh, they're on the other side of the border. Maybe once in a while they're getting drugs and no one in the IC or national security apparatus cares about drugs. It's that it's a cross-border insurgency that they have populations on, you know, Star County, Hidalgo County, Cameron County, in the RGV in Texas, that A, some of them are downright cartel members. I mean, Jason bumps into them all the time. Um, because of their stupid immigration policies for so many years, they've been allowed to come here illegally, some legally, some anchor babies that become legal. Over time, their cartel bosses living in Texas, directing the flow back and forth. Then you have vulnerable populations of Hispanics that are literally, I have a border agent friend of mine who is, um, he doubles over is also, and he's in the military too. So he always he was in Afghanistan. So he's like, dude, this is an insurgency like we see overseas and it crosses our border. Also, if you look at a poverty map, those 
Three counties I just mentioned are among the mo- the poorest counties of all 3,000 counties in this country. So certainly, again, a lot of um, opportunities for the cartels to come in. My understanding is that the reason why CDN and the Zetas particularly are gaining traction is not just because they're very cool and warrior-like, kind of like ISIS is for the for Islam, but that they're paying you know family members uh you know pensions for those wounded warriors or you know paying higher salaries so this is a cross-border problem well yeah i mean think about it for a minute Uh, how do our special operators work there there's a time when they appear very uh kinetic you know they there's a time when you see them the way hollywood predicts them or or shows them to be you know, just the Rambo appearance. But our special operators also have a very in-depth mode of covert. And so to think that everything they do stops at the river is insanity. You and I have talked before, you've talked to Jason before and Derek before about absolutely some of the best collection against our law enforcement attempts to stop them take place by them along our border. You can't go to an airport, you can't bring law enforcement materials in there, you can't maneuver up against that area of conflict is what I call it. You can't do that with assets without them knowing it. They collect at the human level, they collect at the signal intelligence level. You know, so our border is under contention. And it's not just under contention by guys that might drive up and drive across the river in a truck and try and throw a load of dope out. It is they're spending an inordinate amount of money prepping their area of operation. So to think that those guys aren't on our side of the river, yeah, they're not carrying their saws and their you know AKs and whatnot, but they're operating on our side of the river. They know where the stash houses are. And if you allow the Mexican government to continue to let those guys become more emboldened, if we allow them to let them become more emboldened, you remember not just two months ago, you and I were talking about our guys on our side of the river, our military being disarmed yep. because it was a mistake. It was a, it was a, a misunderstanding. Is it? We know now of three incidents that I've seen reported, and I'm sure there were more. Wow. So all of that is creates emboldenedness. You had greater capabilities. You are emboldened more. The Mexican government's doing virtually, the Mexican government's trying to figure out what piece of property to give them in order to make them leave the government alone. How does any of that paint a picture where our number one trading partner is in control of their own nation? I I, I just, that's the part that fascinates me. I I don't know how anyone can look at us with a straight face and say, well, we're speaking to Mexico in Mexico City. Uh, you know, we had a dinner last night, and at that function, the secretary of blah, blah, blah told us such and such. How does that resonate within 300 miles of the border? It's, it's worthless. So, so he, here, here's my problem. Our thick-headed IC community, government bureaucrats at state, DOD, DNI, all these places, they seem to only understand black zone conflict where they're directly coming over and just shooting at us. And <laughs> they actually almost are doing that, but um, they don't understand gray zone conflict. And the problem that I found is our adversaries understand that we don't understand that either. 
So therefore, as such, they're always smart enough to go up to the line and not cross that line because they don't want to elicit a reaction. So could you discuss that through the prism of what happened a week from last Friday when our Riverine crew, CBP's Riverine crew was patrolling at around two in the morning. It was a Friday morning, 10, 11, whatever, 12 days ago by now. And I we we have the pictures we'll put up on the screen right here. Um, you could see, folks, the bullet holes through through the words custom and border protection. I mean, if that's not an irony, I don't know what it is. And they ran away. Why is it that no one in government seems to care? And you and I have talked about the fact that it's probably not in the daily presidential briefings, this type of stuff. Correct. So like I've told you before, one of our fallacies is that when we discover something at the intelligence level or operator, the operators and intelligence people, they intermingle very well. And between the operator saying something and the intelligence collector saying, okay, we'll go figure that out for you, that all becomes information. And then as that information starts to flow through the pipes, it starts hitting chambers. Now, this sounds scarily familiar, like the whole 9-11 commission. I, I, I know that's going to click in your head. So you get information. You think this is actual information. I will tell you from a tactical standpoint, what happened on that island last week was an ambush. And it was it a deliberate ambush? I don't know. But tactically, if you have an ambush near, if you're if you're doing something and your adversary suddenly pops up right in your grill, there's only one way you get out of that. You shoot your way through it. That's probably what they did. But the fact of the matter is they had the intent to shoot at Border Patrol's boat. They had the capability to shoot at that boat. And what they recognized, which they took back to their intelligence collection capabilities, is the boat took off. And we didn't come back in 30 minutes later and pound that island to it sunk. They so, capture that. So, so Colonel, take this to the next level. Us laymen, civilians that never served in the military, I think your average person, and it's not just a conservative audience, just any American would think, okay, we're operating, we're, we're at a forward operating base in Afghanistan or Iraq. Hey, someone just shot at us. That means they had the intent to shoot at us. And like you said, the ability to do it, that's a problem. So everyone would expect, and this is thousands of miles away with a very dubious understanding of why it affects us. But nonetheless, we would then go outside of that forward operating base and clean up what needs to be cleaned up. This happens at our own border. And, 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 and look, I know that area um, across from Las Gruyas, what's it called? Uh, man, I forget these names. And, uh, and Miguel Aliman in, um, it starts with an F and I'm losing my mind here, the name of the city in Texas, but in, it's in Star County. The cities, it's not just desert like in Arizona. In Texas, the, the streets, you go to, you look at a Google map, they go right up to that river. They're right there. Our civilian population, our homeland is right there. And we will not regard that as, dare I say, an act of war. No, I, I will tell you as a guy that was in the business of sending teams out to defend FOBs, uh, once you figure out somebody's hit you, 
and you figure out where they are, you go hit that. Typically in, in our world, we did that by we call air support and we say, hey, we're taking small arm fire from point X. And then we, we vector something over and I don't care if he's still there or not. We pound it because the message is, if you stay still long enough and pull the trigger at us, we're gonna come back and turn all this into to dust. And what we did was we, we DD miled out, the boat team was overmatched, so the boat team tactically withdrew. Now, should we have gone back and whacked whoever was at that location? You bet. Should we have occupied that little piece of dirt afterwards? You bet. How severe of an event was that? What part of that entire story made it to the president's desk? That's my point to you about how things begin to get filtered. And you have great tactical information. And by the time it starts going through senior reviews, including political reviews before it gets to the White House, then people start saying, that's not what we're gonna talk about today. You all need to figure that out. We've gotta go talk about this. And so things like that event fall off the table. That creates frustration. What, what your viewers need to realize is when events like that happen, you embolden your enemy. The first thing Jason and I talked about the day that happened was, just like the guys that got to come back from disarming the two soldiers got to brag about it, think about the guys are on that island that ambushed that border patrol boat. Think about the machismo they gained, yet yes. they go back and they, they look better, they got better weapons, they got a government that won't chase them. When, when the two cartels had the big gunfight last week just outside of Roma, Texas, by the way, just about every round that was fired in that gunfight could have made it into Roma. Some of that gunfire was probably 50 cow gunfire and most of it was 7.62 just listening to the audio tapes. That means anybody in the town of Roma, by the grace of God, didn't get hit by rounds that are just keep going. So do I have to endanger a U.S. citizen by being on your side of the river? No. I got to have a firefight like that, and then all those rounds travel two miles away and kill 50. What's a drive-by shooting do in most cities? Kills an innocent kid, right? You see the story every day about three-year-old gets killed in drive-by shooting. When that happens along our border cities, what are we going to do? Are we just going to say, well, you know, it's happening on that side of the border. There's, there's just nothing we can do about it. This is mentally ill. I know I, I just we have spent by some estimates four trillion dollars since 9-11 in the Middle East. Um, we have it on our border, in our border, physically shooting across our border. And then they have networks in all 50 states, pretty much. And transnational gangs contracting with them, doing all sorts of violence. And it's just not viewed as an act of war. It's not viewed as a national security threat in any way. And and like what frustrates me is our mutual friend, Todd Benzman, you know, we brought him on to discuss the extracontinental SIAs, the Middle Easterners coming over to the extent you mention national security and terrorism. Think, oh, Daniel, you mean like Middle Easterners coming over? And I'm thinking, look, that that might be a problem. But no, this is actually more prominent of a problem. It's more sustained of a problem. And, uh, you know, there's more people involved in it. And uh I just I can't figure it out. I've heard this. This came from that island and it's a it's a big island. It's probably the biggest island, in the Rio Grande. It's right there. Um, I'm hearing I have a friend who is a in a riverine unit in that county that 
they can't get recruits. In other words, more than a lack of boats, they have a lack of manpower to man the boats. In other words, they actually have more boats than people to man them now. I'm hearing, um, you know, I say this, a lot of the members are saying, hey, someone's going to have to get killed in order for something to change. But I look at this a little bit more morbidly. I don't think the death of one agent kind of just in a quiet ambush that's not really on a camera that you could disseminate to the public at night. I think Trump will mention it. I think he would talk about it if God forbid it happened. I don't think you'd see a policy change. I think you would need a cartel or illegal alien 9-11 to, to perhaps change this. And I just, I don't know. I don't know what more to do, but, but you see what I'm saying? It's still too subtle and the president just doesn't feel, it's not like having facilities all over your border being filled to the brim with the humanitarian crisis. And let's face it, that's what prompted them to act, not the security crisis for Americans or the public charge, the diseases, all this stuff going on. It was for the illegals and they were getting hit on the treatment. You know, never, never. It's never about Americans. What, what would you suggest if you were called right now to do what you did for Rick Perry to do for the president of the United States? What would you do? Well, let me let me back up for just a second. Let me paint a different picture for you and your viewers. Suppose that picture that you and I and Jason, some other people, and I, I know you have it out there. Suppose we had an article get published of all those guys standing together, uniformity and uniform, uniformity and weapons, uniformity in their stance, everything that makes them look, if you look like a duck, talk, quack like a duck, and you're a duck, right? Let's, let's say that little picture was a picture of a Hezbollah unit just on the other side of Roma, Texas. What would be the alarm bells in DC? What is if Iran put out a picture and said, we remember when they said to us, uh, we're closer than you think? Than you think is Qasem yes. Soleimani. When, so just when Trump imagine got rid of the minute, Iran that deal, picture yeah. was a Hezbollah team sitting just outside Matamoros. This country would go nuts. We would, you know, the DC would just, but. But here's the problem. Because it's a Mexican cartel, it doesn't, you know, they're not going to do anything. So, Dan, they got two modes of operation. They covertly operate in our country. They, ex they execute people every day. A, a huge part of our crime in our nation is based upon their drug industry. And I know they argue, well, it's your, it's your addiction. And don't give me that. You come here and you create crime in our country covertly. You overtly do crime in your country, but they're in every city of our country. The Mexican mafia, you, you name it, they're, yeah. they're already here. So they have two modes of operation. The story is they're operating in our country. That, that's the reality. These guys that sit over there in these fancy uniforms, their covert ops are here and they've been here and they're operating here. And, 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 and even the um, overt action, it's not overt in the sense that they'll do what they did from their side of the border to our side of the border um, through shooting 50 cal uh, gunfire like in Chicago. But what what you do see is, as our mutual friend Derek, you know, former head of DEA Special Operations Division, that over time he started to see, wait a minute, 
I'm seeing, you know, those cartel dead body pictures that you have, the burnt, the chopped up, the duct taped. They, you do see that in our country now. It's not out in the open it's, it, as much as it is in Mexico. It's not as large in numbers. You're not going to see 20 people hanging from a bridge, but you will found, find in some sort not of a yet. house. <laughs> not yet. And, and, and that's the thing. Why does everything have to wait until it happens? So you got a so you got a cartel boss, and you and I talked about this last week. And going back to this whole issue of how soft is our number one trade partners, so-called government, on these cartels. So last week, a cartel boss sends a videotape to the president of Mexico. And in that videotape, he's in, he's asking him if he feels okay, wishing him well. It sounds like he, him and they're just buddies. And then he says, Hey, by the way, your governor in my territory is in cahoots with my adversary, and I need you to do something about it so I can go back to taking care of the people in my territory. So back to this theory of these guys are starting to lay claim to geographical sections of Mexico. It's not just about the ports of entry anymore. It's not about getting dope across a river. They're laying claim to pieces of land. And this is a video to the president saying, I need you to do something about this governor so I can take out my adversary so my people, which he means everybody lives in that territory, are safe. This is how autonomous they believe they're getting. And his response to that is, it appears, in my opinion, is if I give you these zones where you are the boss, will you stop all the violence? How insane is that? Folks, and um, you, know, you know what's funny? Anytime I try to talk about this, so all these Teletubbies in government, and yes, Colonel Dan is the originator of the Teletubby term, so we will put it on the screen in honor of the Colonel here, but um, our, our Teletubby friends are like, do not terrorists, it's just drags. Look, 18 U.S.C. 2331, global terrorism is defined as to intimidate or coerce a civilian population to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion or to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination or kidnapping. That's the definition of international terrorism under our laws. Yes. Colonel, I mean, isn't that literally you, what they do? You've got cartels that go into towns in Mexico now and physically tell the town, we'll come back and kill all of you if you don't change what you're doing. H how is that not fitting someone in D.C.'s definition of a terrorist organization? How, how, and if you don't label them as terrorists, ter you embolden them. If no one's dealing with them, that after that shootout across the river from Roma, there was no big, it used to be Sedina had come pouring in there and they'd put a battalion sized unit in there underneath Calderon, especially for a month or two. And then they'd force them out of the area, kind of like we do Afghanistan. We'll saturate an area to make it cool down. Nothing happened. The next day, Jason and I are talking, it's like no one rolled into town. No one came into town to take control of that event. So you embolden these cartels, the government emboldens them with these indirect discussions about how do I appease you? You know, the typical liberal progressive dogma, you know, the, the Chamberlain of Mexico now, how do I appease you? 
How do I get you to stop being aggressive? What do you want? And then we sit over here and we just say, well, you know, it's Mexico, we're not worried about it. And what does it take for that to no longer be denied? And I will tell you, you know, you, you saw the blog I put out last week. Imagine you're driving from city to city in the United States and it's seven o'clock in the morning and you go by an overpass and you see something and it's a body hanging upside down and it has no head. And there's a sheet with writing on it saying something and you get to work and you find out the people at work tell you, well, that's about the third time that's happened. And then you go down the road to, a, to another company and a month later and you see five or six burned out modified vehicles that look like war wagons. And you think, good grief, I sat in traffic for an hour. I wonder what that was all about. You go to work, you say, you tell everybody at work about it and they go, again? That's Mexico. That's our number one trading partner where people drive to work past these cartels hanging guns out the windows and modified armored vehicles hanging people from overpasses. And they just drive by. The Mexican people are just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just going to drive by that. And we sit back and just say, well, you know, it's just drugs. Now, we got bigger things to worry about in the world. OK. But I don't want to be the I told you so guy. And I know you don't want to be the I told you so guy. You asked me how I would how, how I would deal with this if Trump called me and said, how do you deal with it? Well, I will tell you, as a, when I was a civilian cop, when I came out of active duty, I went and worked for the police department in Fort Worth PD, St. Louis PD for 10 years. I went back to active duty. In those 10 years, I learned something, that criminals respect one thing. They respect fear. That's what they respect. You know, we used to tell people back in the day, God knows you can't do this anymore. If I got to come back here, there's going to be hell to pay. That's all there is to it. I don't know what kind of messaging we're doing in Mexico, but if we do the right messaging, if we do the right things, then we need to get the message across. And, and not to AMLO. He, he's, a, he's the blue Teletubby running around in circles at the grass hut. We got to get the message to the to the people that really run the country, Dan. And I know that's terrible, and people are going to be mad at you for letting me put that on your show. But that's how we have to do this. Well, doesn't that message have to take the form of a CDN guy or golf guy one day? Um, there's a Marine sniper or something that just quietly drops them because that really instills fear. Um, well. You're you're happy. You're you're you're. You've, it's Friday night. It's four o'clock in the morning. You're drunk on your butt. You've had a good day. You feel like you're invincible. You're immortal. And then all of a sudden, someone snatches you. And when you wake up, you're in Georgia inside a facility, or you're in Cuba inside a facility. This is how we dealt with yes Osama bin Laden. That's how we deal with these guys. Hey, where did Jose go? I don't know. I haven't seen him. And then if you really want to be cruel, you start doing like SAS used to do and you leave your card or you leave a coin on what unit did that. And, and, and that's the kind of effects based operations that you start putting against these guys. You know, the movie Clear and Present Danger vilified a president that got sick and tired of what was going on. You know, at the end of the movie, the president was the bad guy because he was authorizing all these terrible missions down there. I got news for you. 
if, if we don't take that direction, then just wait for those people to hang from the overpasses on our side of the bridge. And then everybody goes, and then it becomes a political football, and it's, you know, it's Trump's fault, it's the liberals' fault, and it's just a game of politics from yeah, there on. No, 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 exactly, exactly. And, and, and here's the thing, Trump has nothing to lose. By designating them as terrorists, something he could do tomorrow that, A, focuses attention immediately. It, at, at the very least, before operations, it at least brings the military mindset, the national security mindset to the border, not as like it's some domestic tax policy issue. The next obviously would authorize us to grab some of these guys. And then also, you know, what's what's so important is to me, the biggest thing I hear that prevents us from doing this is the most unbelievably hypocritical, counterintuitive, circular logic I've ever heard. It's all about Mexican sovereignty. So the Mexicans admit they have ceded their own thing to people that are biting us. They, they're sticking their dogs on us. So our sovereignty could be violated and we can't defend our sovereignty if that would mean going on their soil, which they don't control anyway. I mean, that's, that's basically what they're telling us. Yep, and then you've got the model that really works, the Mossad. You never say anything. The guy disappears. Everybody in Mexico starts running stories. Vice News starts running stories about there's been seven uh, high-level members of the drug cartels disappear in the last two months. And the rumor is the United States is behind it. And the answer is no comment. See, the problem you is know, Trump is just incapable of that. I mean, he he dc is incapable of that dan i, yeah, I don't know true. who we'd put up there is capable of that dc is incapable trump could do it and they would attack him worse than we should be attacking the cartels no i don't mean just the operations i mean keeping it quiet just oh well, yeah no. that yeah you'd have to turn off his twitter account there's no <laughs> doubt <know>? about it. <laughs> but but anyway yeah we're about out of time man dan this was very engaging i could go on for hours and hours but my editors will get upset here um, it's go going long uh, the same way the colonel did this on Mexico. He could do the same thing with Iran, China, what's going on in Hong Kong. We didn't even get to that. So much more. Uh, colonel Dan Steiner is our national security advisor here at the Conservative Review. Thank you so much, Colonel, for joining us today. And thank you all for, for listening. Send me your comments, concerns and questions for the colonel um, at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thanks for listening.